Hey, New Life family, Pastor Jeremy here. Thank you so much for joining us on our online experience that we offer each and every week. Thank you so much for being here. You probably noticed a little tweak, a few tweaks that we made to our service. We had the announcements uh, and all of the housekeeping items at the beginning, and we cut our song list down uh, just to one song because what we're seeing is uh, more people engage in our live services here on the weekend. So we just want to encourage you, if there is nothing holding you back now from joining us live here at the North Building at the Turlock Campus, our Patterson Campus has been meeting in the North Building, we strongly encourage you to do so because we're having some great services over there in that building and we can't wait to join you in our own building, okay, that's located on 515 Keystone Boulevard in Patterson. And just to give you an update, we are only about 10 Sundays away from having our grand opening, okay? Ten Sundays away from having our grand opening. So you can count those down. I know I am, and I know our staff is as well. And so uh, we're so excited to be uh, doing that. Also, one more piece of information that I wanted uh, to make sure that everyone clearly hears is that next Friday... On Friday, June 25th, from 6.30 to 9 p.m., we're having our summer night event in the parking lot of our new building, 515 Keystone Boulevard. We have had a lot of people say they didn't know anything about it, but we've been talking about it uh, for a few weeks live, and I know I've, I've talked about it here uh, in the beginning of my messages too, and I know a lot of people, some people go straight to the message and they don't catch the announcement. So we just want to let you know that next Friday, June 25th, 6.30 to 9 p.m., we're having our summer night event in the parking lot of our new campus. We've got games, we've got food trucks, we've got all kinds of things uh, that the, that's going to keep us together there, and we're just going to celebrate our own summer night event. Over the last few uh, years, we've been doing it together. Uh, Patterson and Turlock Campus is together, but this year we have our own building, so we'll be doing it in the parking lot of our own building. If you need any more information about that, make sure you are connected to our social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook, because they've already been promoted on there. Okay, all right, well, let's dive right into this. We are launching our summer series called questions. All right, this is the, the series that we're going to be in all summer long. You're going to hear different communicators. You're going to hear from Pastor Dave, Pastor Brett, Pastor John, Pastor Brian, Pastor Tito uh, during the summer. And I'm excited about what question they feel like God has put on their heart uh, to speak about. And when we say questions, um, a lot of times people think, are these questions that we have about the Bible? No, these are questions that are found in the Bible, either uh, God to man, man to man, uh, us to God. It doesn't matter which direction it's going, but these are the questions that we're going to be diving into uh, throughout the summer, and I know we're going to have a lot of fun with some of these, okay? Now, we all know that there's all kinds, all different types of questions, aren't there? As kids, we ask a lot of questions. Can I go to the park? No. Why? Can I have a snack? No. Can I have a piece of candy? No. Can I have this toy? No. Why? You know, that's the question that we get from our kids all the time. Why, why, why? Can I punch my brother in the face? No. Why? You know, maybe that's just a question for me. May, that may not be in your family. But growing up, that was a question that I wanted to ask a lot because my brothers and I, we were allowed to fight, but we couldn't punch in the face. All right, that got us in big trouble, and my dad can attest to that. Well, in school, we, have, we, we hear our teachers um, say things like that. Now, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Until that person in your class asks a dumb question, and then you want to raise your hand and say, wait a minute, just to be clear, there are dumb questions that people can ask. 
I mean, all day long, it's either us asking questions or we hear other people asking questions. What should I wear? Uh, are you going to wear that? I hear that a lot in my house. Do you like this? Uh, what size do you prefer? Um, tall, grand, grande, or venti? Um, should I date him or her? Should I buy this? Do you want to supersize that? And the answer to that question is always, yes, I want to supersize that. But in our quiet moments, those moments where we're alone, there's no music going, there's no TV on, the computers are shut, maybe we're in a time of reflection or devotion, in those quiet moments, sometimes those questions can go a lot deeper, can't they? Questions like, how am I going to make it through this? Or why would she do that to me? Or I wonder if he'll relapse. Or how long do I have, Doc? Or God, where are you in this? Those are some pretty deep questions. Some of our questions try to identify the boundaries that we've created for ourselves or the guardrails that we put into place to protect our thinking or our actions or our faith. Questions like, I wonder how far I really can go with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Or when is, uh, when is what I'm doing considered cheating? Or when I'm speaking badly of someone, is it really gossip if it's true? You know, we try to come up with these questions to kind of stretch the boundaries of what we know is allowed and what is not. But rather than just throwing up a bunch of questions this weekend, we're going to go to the Bible and look at actual questions, like we said, that God asks people, that people ask God, that people ask one another. And throughout the summer, some of these questions are going to be challenging, some of these questions are going to be revealing, and hopefully some of these questions are going to be healing as well. But today we're going to look at an event that happened in the, in the life of the Apostle Paul. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, wherever you are, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts is found in the New Testament, written by uh, uh, St. Luke. And uh, we're going to dive into Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. Now, because it's Father's Day, we just want to say happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. But because uh, if you are a father or if you are a man, I'm going to direct some of this teaching uh, specifically towards you in whatever season of life that you might be in. And that's going to be coming up uh, pretty soon. So Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. Uh, I know it's a lengthy uh, text that we're going to be reading today, but it's an amazing one, so hang in there, okay? Verse 16, one day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on a day or two. Uh, uh, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. 
The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here, all, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in the house were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Hey, will you pray with me real quickly wherever you are. Heavenly Father, we honor and we praise your name. Thank you for your words. Thank you for our blessings. Father, right now I pray that you will speak your words through your servant to your people so that we can draw closer to you and closer to each other. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, going back to when we were talking about moments, I believe this was the the moment for the jailer when he realized that this was bigger than him. I mean, he had been intrigued up to this point, I'm sure, when he heard Paul and Silas singing worship songs right after being stripped and beaten and bound. He had to be wondering, what kind of crazy (laughs) are these guys that are in this dungeon? Because now they have the chance to escape, but they don't. Not just Paul and Silas, but none of them do. Doors are open, chains are off, and he's realizing that something in their life was sadly missing in his own. So he asked them the most important question he could ever ask. And it's our question that we're beginning this series with this weekend. And it's this, what must I do to be saved? You see, he saw something different and real that was missing in his own life. This word saved is critical here, okay? It's not just a religious word that we use in church. This word saved means rescuing from great peril, to protect to keep alive, to preserve life, to deliver and to heal, to be made whole. He wasn't asking Paul and Silas to literally save him from the the Roman superiors that were going to demand payback for all the prisoners escaping. That's not what he was asking to be saved from. He was asking for something deeper, something personal, something uh, spiritual uh, in, in nature for his life. He was saying, tell me what I must do To have life like you. Where do I start? What's next? And then Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your entire household. Before the night was through, the jailer and his family had taken the next step to commit their lives to Jesus. And to follow him and to be baptized. Now the story of the jailer ends here. But he leaves us with an example to follow 
as we ask the same question, what must I do to know and follow God? How can I take the necessary steps to live in freedom and grace? What must I do to be saved? And that leads us into our very first fill-in for the weekend. Number one, I must be honest about the condition of my soul. I must be honest about the condition of my soul. You see, there comes a moment in each one of us when we look around and realize that as much as we try and as hard as we work, we simply cannot save ourselves. I know there's ideologies and religions and isms out there that teach you that you could just be a good person and as long as, uh, as long as you're happy, everything is good. But that is not scriptural. That is not biblical. There's one way to heaven and that's through Jesus. And we cannot save ourselves no matter how good we are. We cannot save ourselves. Taking an honest inventory, looking at the condition of my soul, getting a true evaluation. That sounds pretty logical and straightforward. But oftentimes it comes from a place where I'm struggling internally. Just like that jailer. I mean, he was at a crossroads in his life. What was he going to do? Now for you, it could be a marriage or other relationships that you're struggling with. It could be a job that's killing you. Finances that are completely out of control. Maybe you find yourself this weekend succeeding beyond your wildest imagination beyond what your dreams ever were, and yet you still feel empty and lonely because you realize now that that promotion and that raise and that new house or moving out of state, none of those things fill the void that only God can fill in your life. This is that raw place. This is that tender place in our lives where we have to come clean. No more playing around, no justification, no, nothing but brutal honesty and ask ourselves, what do I really believe about God? Where do I stand in my relationship with him? Where do I need to come clean? Who is around me? Who have I surrounded myself with? Are there toxic people pulling me down and keeping me from moving forward in my relationship with Jesus? Where have I put my trust and my hope or in whom? Have I put my trust and my hope? Dads out there, since this is Father's Day, let me specifically address you for a moment. Over the years, I've had men come up to me and say, well, my wife handles all of the religious stuff in our family, almost like a budget. (laughs) I've heard people say, I've heard men tell me, well, I go to church when she goes to church. Or I run into someone and let them know that I pastor New Life Patterson. Oh, man, my my wife and my kids go to your church. They tell me a lot of great things about it. First of all, this isn't my church. This is God's church. And if you're a dad or a husband or just a man watching or listening right now, let me ask, where are you? Where are you? So many parents send their kids or their teenagers to church because they they believe that the kids are going to learn some good moral lessons there. And they will. And they do. Pastor Tito and Miss Anna do a great job investing into our kids and our students here at New Life Patterson. But some parents stay home on the weekends, but they make sure that their kids go to youth group throughout the week. You know what that communicates to our children? It communicates that, that, that having a strong faith family and being in unity with other believers and growing in our faith is important for them, but it's not important to you. Men, what does your family see 
when they look at you? Do they just see a breadwinner, which is great, it's important. Do they see you as just the provider, which is good, it's important. Or do they see you as the spiritual head of their home? What does your family see in you? Do they see a spiritual leader setting an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus? Or is your family asking questions about you in your relationship with God? Dads and husbands, are you the ones getting your family up and ready for church on the weekends? Does your family see you reading scripture? Do they see or hear you praying? Do they witness you serving on a volunteer team or giving, uh, and, uh, giving back to God in your generosity? Do they see you witnessing or volunteering at the food pantry on Mondays or Wednesdays? Do they, they, do they see you taking food to a neighbor? Do they see you actively pursuing spiritual disciplines that's bringing you closer to God so that you can bring your family closer to God? Because look what Moses wrote. If you don't believe me, let's look what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Look, repeat them again and again to who? Your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. When you go back and read Acts 16, you realize that the beginning of the transformation of the entire family of the jailer started with him. It started with his surrender. It started with his trust. It started in his own heart. The salvation of his entire family began when he asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? It started with him. Let me give you an alarming alarming statistic. Statistically speaking, when the husband, when the dad, when when, when, when the man of the home surrenders his life over to Jesus first, he has a 93% success rate of the family surrendering their life to Jesus and following him in his footsteps, in his example. When the woman, when the wife, when the mom is the first one to surrender her life to Jesus, she has a 17% chance of getting her family to follow her in her footsteps in her relationship. 93% to 17%. That's an alarming Statistic. What, what must I do? What must I do begins with where am I? Where am I in my relationship? Where am I in my, where am I relationship with God really? It's that soul inventory. It's the process. It's the beginning process of letting God have control of my life. And then, and then Paul replied to him, hey, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you what you must do. Believe in Jesus and follow after him. After we surrender our lives to Jesus, make a decision to follow him, what else must I do? Write this down for number two. I must value, I must see value and worth in others. I must see value and worth in others. Paul and Silas were still this jailer's responsibility. And at first the jailer did the very least he had to do to care for them, to take care of them, to watch over them. They've been stripped, beaten, tossed in the dungeon with shackles, they were bloody, they were, they were, uh, they were bleeding, they, they probably could have died in there for all he knew, for all he cared. He was more concerned with his own well-being. But after witnessing what he did during that night, 
This jailer had a spiritual awakening. And what did he do next? Verse 33, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Remember, like we said, they're still his prisoners. He could just set them free. But he did treat them with dignity and compassion. He washed their wounds. He could have done that when he first put them in the dungeon, but he was a different person then. Part of the what must I do leads us to see others the way God sees them. That in the eyes of God, everyone has value, everyone has worth, and everyone has a unique purpose for his kingdom. You know, growing up, I would, I would oftentimes see, uh, see people uh, just treat my father horribly. My dad was a bivocational uh, pastor for the first few years of my life. He was a mechanical engineer uh, by trade, and so that's, that was what he did during the day. And that night, he was a pastor or mechanical engineer by day, pastor by night. And I would listen to him sometimes share uh, about seasons of conflict that he would have at his job. And then also, I would eavesdrop, and he's talking about, as he would talk about, talk with my mom about people in the church who had betrayed him or stabbed him in the back or even you know, cursed at him or even threatened him. I thought, how can anyone threaten a pastor? But after doing this for 16 years, I've learned. People can actually threaten the pastor, <laughs> which is one of the reasons why growing up I said, I, I'm, this church thing is not for me. I, I, I can't wait. As soon as I get 18, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with church or God. I saw how people treated my dad. Of course, as we know, God had different plans for me. Even as a 10-year-old kid, I'd hear my dad share about things that people would say to him, man, I was ready to get on my BMX bike. I was ready to go find some of those people, right? Put a good old Tennessee whooping on them. But not my dad. My dad uh, still treated them with kindness and respect and dignity because at the end of the day, he genuinely loved them. Look what, Matthew, look what Jesus says in Matthew. These are the words of Jesus. I tell you the truth that when you did when you, did, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And then five verses later he says this. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. So since I've surrendered my life to Jesus, now I see value and worth in others. That takes us to the third fill. And I must practice kindness and generosity. Kindness and generosity. Verse 34, he brought them into his house and set a meal before them, talking about the jailer. This jailer went above and beyond the call of his duty for Paul and Silas by bringing them into his home and feeding them. Remember, uh, the, the, this, was a, this was a time in society, a time in culture where people didn't take their meals lightly. Okay, food wasn't readily available and in abundance like it is today. And men had to be very protective of what they had. So sharing a meal was much more than just about food. It was connecting with one another. That's why some people simply wouldn't eat with, with just anyone, with others, especially if they were considered sinners. But in doing this, the jailer created a new model for his family. He was setting a different standard. He was saying this, that my new relationship with God, my new relationship with God makes a difference in the way that I share with others. 
First Peter chapter 4, 8-10 through 10 says this, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. What must I do? Live with kindness and an open hand. You've received... And you get a chance to give and share. Jesus talked about us gaining everything that we could in this world, only at the end, almost losing our entire souls. Look what he says in Mark 8, 36 and 37. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I see value and worth in others. And I'm practicing kindness and humility. And that takes us to our last fill-in, which is this. I must live in active obedience. I must live in active obedience. Verse 33b. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately what? Baptized. The jailer showed his family when it came to obeying Christ, he was going to lead the way by his own example. It stands to reason that if he was willing to be baptized in the middle of the night, that he was willing to be obedient in other areas as well. If you missed our baptisms last week, we baptized three individuals. Three individuals in our campus stood up in front of about 75 other people and through their tears, through their joy, through their feeling of restoration and redemption, they shared their story. And then they took that next step in being water baptized. Last weekend was one, was one of my favorite services since I've been here uh, at New Life for almost four and a half years now. One of my favorites. To be in that baptism tank with some of these people as they read their story and shared where they were when God drug them out of a pit and where they are now. Admitting that they know that it's not going to be an easy street all the way until the day they die or until, the, until God comes, whichever comes first. Knowing that it's not going to be an easy road, but knowing that they're in a better place now than where they were. What would it look like for you to not just say, I believe, but rather to follow Jesus in faith and obedience? What if being a part what if being a regular part of our church family live here on the weekends became the habit of your life rather than the exception? Now, if you still have underlying health issues, please hear me out. You know my heart. Those of you that know me, you know my heart. But what I'm saying is if there's nothing keeping you from fellowshipping with our faith family, if there's nothing that's keeping you from gathering together as a strong faith family as we celebrate and worship our Creator, let me implore you to be here. How would it affect your work, your school, your finances, your free time, your relationships, your career, your marriage, your parenting, your personal identity with Christ? If not only you surrendered your life to him, but now you're seeking out, determined to live your life the way that Jesus modeled for us. Maybe for you this weekend, your question is just like this jailer, to say, what must I do to be saved? 
there's a formula for it. We always say there's no formula for it. What we mean by that is that you don't have to do uh, all these, you know, you don't have to do eight to ten different things to do this. There's only two requirements for salvation. And they're pretty clear. If we confess our mouth, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that the Father raised him from the dead, we can be saved. And maybe for some of you, that's where you are. Maybe for others of you, your question is, I've already surrendered my, my, myself to God. I've surrendered my life to Jesus. Now what must I do to follow after him to the best of my ability? Whatever your questions are, we want to we connect with you. We want to reach out to you. We want to pray with you, okay? Wherever you are, bow your heads. Father, thank you as we kick off this series this weekend. Lord, we know that it's going to be an amazing summer for all of us as we ask God questions, as God asks us questions, as we ask each other questions. Father, we know that it's going to be revealing, it's going to be challenging, it's going to be encouraging, but we know also there can be some healing in some of these questions. Father, I just pray over the entire summer. I pray over this entire series. For those who are watching right now, if their question is, what must I do to be saved? then I pray that this weekend they surrender their life to you, that they confess with their mouth that you are Lord, that they believe in their heart that, you, that, that, that the Father raised your Son from the dead. Father, I just pray over that. I pray over every single person making that decision right now. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. I know that angels right now are rejoicing for every single one who's come to the saving knowledge of who you are. Thank you, Lord, for moving in our life. Father, we surrender to you. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, before you sign off, we have just a little recap. There's something else that we're going to be doing. So we just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us for our online experience. But don't turn off. After each week, we've got just a little 90-second blurb at the end that we want you to watch and be a part of. Okay? Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend. Don't forget, Patterson Campus, next Friday. Uh, June 25th, 6.30 to 9 p.m. in the parking lot of our new building, 515 Keystone Boulevard. We're having our summer night event, food trucks, entertainment, lots of games for your kids. Make sure you join us next Friday from 6.30 to 9. Have a great week. We love you guys.